Hi, this is Ellie Fishman, and welcome to our latest vodcast. And this is probably going to be a three-parter. Uh, I've talked on this, or I've spoken on this topic before on CTSS, but people have been asking me a bunch of questions. And uh, so what I called this was processing of CTA data sets, what you need to know and why you need to know it. And really, it goes by a second title, which is volume visualization, which is probably a better term for 3D imaging, but how to integrate imaging into your practice. And I think one of the challenges people always speak to me about is, yes, I'd love to do 3D imaging. Reimbursement's not that great. It takes some time. It's all issues. So the question is really, what do you need to do? And I guess you need to step back and say, if your current workflow is only looking at axial imaging, you're really making a mistake. There's so many errors you can make. There's so many times you don't maximize the information from a CT data set unless you're not only looking at the axial images, but routinely looking at multiplanar and supplementing that with 3D imaging, whether it's volume rendering or MIP. So the correct answer should be all of the above. And there have been many articles have addressing the subject and I'll just show you a couple. This Parish article talking about the evidence in the literature supporting the reporting of volume CT data with the use of non-axial techniques of NPR, MIP, and volume rendering. And the diagnostic confidence and accuracy have increased with improvement in post-processing. And that volume rendering and volume CT allows radiologists to produce a few image of the diagnosed pathologic condition, the best orientation with the most appropriate post-processing method for referring clinicians. And this is a very important point. It's not just we need the images to make the right diagnosis, but the referring docs need the images to be able to manage the patients. 3,000 slices is actually worse sometimes than 100 slices. And a few good 3D images and multiplanars, 20 or 30 images, goes a long way to making everyone's job easier and most importantly, patient care for the better. Now the key to understanding post-processing is to know what techniques we have and how do we use them. There have been several additional recent articles. This article by Zhang, Volumetric Medical Imaging Rendering is a method of extracting meaningful information from a 3D data set, allowing disease processes and anatomy to be better understood, both by the radiologists as well as physicians and surgeons. They also made the point that multiplanar was pretty good. It extracts 2D slices from a 3D volume using arbitrarily positioned orthogonal or oblique planes. Now, the thing is, NPR, a lot of the times, is really the most helpful thing. It's very important to do that on every single patient. In our institution, at the workstation, you can do it, but the scanners do it routinely. The technologists have programmed in to do coronals and sagittals on every patient, not on select patients, every single patient. So what's NPR? Really what you're doing is you're reformatting the original data into additional planes. Coronal and sagittal are the most common, but oblique and curved planar reconstructions also are commonly used now. Now, NPR quality is really dependent on the initial data set. So if you're doing three by threes, your data set is not gonna be very good, and your NPRs are not gonna be very good. But these days with isotropic data, it's ideal for doing multiplanar. Resolution in plane, out of plane is the same. Uh, in the old days, we used to get reimbursed. Those are referred to as the good old days, and those are referred to as yesterday because routine NPR is expected. It is not something you're getting paid extra for. There have been articles that show the value in this article by Marin. Addition of isotropic coronals to axial images improves reader confidence for detection of hepatoma. 
The improvement came at a longer interpretation time. I like to show this article because there's a few articles that really give some time measurements. Here they were saying if you looked at axial and coronal, it was 12 minutes. Axial alone, 7 and change, and coronal alone, 7 and change. So there was some efficiency looking at both, but it took longer by 5 minutes. I'll be honest with you, it depends on your software and it depends on your experience. If you have really fast workstations and you have a lot of experience, I think it does not take any additional time. And in many cases, it's a lot faster because when I see something on the sagittal and I see a celiac stenosis or an, or an aneurysm or something else, I don't need to go back and up and down on the axials. When I'm looking at renal donors and I want to count the renal arteries, it's very easy in 3D. On axial imaging, it's very easy to miss. Jeff Rubin wrote an article years ago that said that prehyloid branching is missed half the time in axial imaging. And you could study those axials from here to time and memorial, and you're not going to see it, but also you're wasting a lot of time. There's no reason to. Other articles, Dresden, with a single continuous acquisition, whole body CTA is able to demonstrate all potentially injured organs, from circle of Willis to symphysis pubis. They're speaking here about whole body CT angio in trauma, and made the point clearly that when you're doing that, you must review multiplanar on 3D images for timely and accurate interpretation. And they made it clear, and I do like what they said, that these isotropic data sets, these large volumes, which do maximize efficiency in evaluating injuries in patients with blunt trauma, necessitate a move away from over-reliance on axial images. Thus, the use of coronal and sagittal images shall no longer be considered complementary. And that is a very good point. It's gone from additional review to the primary review. You must look at it. And you can see examples, just a simple case. Here, the right kidney looks enlarged, it's poor enhanced, but there's maybe stranding around the kidney on the axial imaging. But when you take the axial and you go to the coronal, it's much more obvious that infiltration in the perirenal space, and it's much more obvious this patient has lymphoma, and you go from multiplanar to 3D as well. Again, it was quicker. Or this case, is this a renal cyst, an adrenal cyst, something in the liver? Well, you look at the coronals, it's obviously above the kidney and it's below the liver. It's adrenal. It's in a simple adrenal cyst. Very easy, no enhancement, no calcification, nothing. Simple to do. Or this case, you look at this and you say, boy, it looks pretty good. The stomach looks, looks fine on those axial images. But what if I told you we gave the patient no oral contrast? Then you kind of say, uh-oh. And what if I gave you that coronal? Uh-oh, that patient has a large pseudoaneurysm. This patient had trauma and had a aneurysm of the ventricle that was sewn. And now look at it. The patient has a large aneurysm of the left ventricle. There's a communication. Patient was very lucky. Survived the first stabbing and survived the pseudoaneurysm. This was uh, resected and repaired. But again, coronal sagittal, look how much easier it is to understand the patient's injury and extent of injury and involvement. And it's not just in this case, particularly in vascular imaging. Is this a dissection? Is this an ulceration? Is this intramural hematoma? What am I looking at? Describe it. Well, look at these two images. Here it's easier. There's a dissection. There's an ulceration. There's an intramural hematoma. We have both processes. But look how the coronal display gives you all the information very obviously on a quick email. 
something you spent a lot of time thinking about on axials, something you spent a lot of time dictating, and you may not dictate it correctly. Now, when we talk about multiplanar reconstructions, I will make the point that it has some advantages, but again, it's only part two, part one being axial, part two, two being multiplanar, and part three being the 3D imaging. And that's because multiplanar still, for the most part, is a plane. And so when you look at a case like this of a stab wound and you see bleeding, and you want to know where the bleeding is coming from, you can scroll the axials, and you can scroll the coronals, and you can kind of guess them at where it's coming from. But if you do the 3Ds, there's no guessing. You can see exactly where off the brachial artery this bleed is coming. And you can see the active bleed that's present. And you can see that in the 3D reconstructions as well here when I took the bone away. Or in this example, renal cell carcinoma, no problem. Coronals nicely show the lesion. You might be thinking of partial nephrectomy. But if you really want to look at the vascularity of that lesion, it's really in the 3D, which gives you the depth, now shows you the neovascularity. It's a very aggressive lesion, surely a clear cell, and perhaps it's a lesion that you don't want to do a partial nephrectomy on. Now, the other thing, of course, in doing um, routine coronals and sagittals is, as I mentioned, it's still a plane. And so things that curve out of plane are not going to be evaluated well. Again, it relies on you to build models. When we speak about the coronaries in a moment, we'll speak about curved planar. But here's a simple example of the ureter. And if you want to see the ureter in this patient, you could look at the entire slab of coronal images, but you would have to build a model in your mind as opposed to doing volume rendering, and now you see the pelvis and the ureters, the elevated bladder by the enlarged prostate. Easy to see, the full volume is there compared to 3D versus the axial. So again, one, two, three. Other articles, here was an article, um, perhaps we should only do the coronals and the sagittals. Perhaps you'd only the axial imaging, and in some situations that indeed is the case, um, in this article, Sandrasaran, I hope I didn't ruin his name too much, spoke about doing that, but at the end of the day, most people will say that you need to look at all of the images, that sometimes the axials do provide impressive information, uh, but again, you need to have the coronals and the sagittals, and that's true in abdominal pain, and that's true in staging pancreatic cancer, and that is true in looking at appendicitis, and that is true whether appendicitis is in the peace patient or the adult patient. And you can see from this article, the addition of coronals to axials increased confidence in the diagnosis or exclusion of acute appendicitis and the improved confidence in visualizing appendiceal and periappendiceal findings eventually resulted in increased confidence in diagnosing appendicitis. So the end of the day, the radiologist did better. I mentioned a moment ago about cardiac CT and curved planar reconstruction, which interestingly was first used for the pancreatic duct, but it's really an ideal thing for vascular structures or complex structures. In the sense, what you're doing with curved planar, you're taking advantage of the computer's ability to track things. So if I showed you a tortuous vessel, looking at the axials obviously is not helpful, but even the coronals or sagittals is just way too tortuous. Things are coming in and out of plane. But if I could take a thing, go through the vessel, track it, then stretch it like a string of spaghetti, then I have a true visualization of what that vessel is doing. 
And so curved plantar reconstructions, as I said, this article by Desser talked about the pancreas, but it's really in vascular and coronaries especially, it works great. So here's an example of volume rendering. You see the patient's coronary arteries, but now I'll take the vessels one by one and stretch them out. When you're trying to quantitate stenosis, this is the way to do it. When you're trying to determine whether there is a stenosis, this is the way to do it. You can rotate the vessels around, and every vendor does this one way or the other. So if I'm looking at non-calcified plaque here, I can see the patient has a stenosis approaching 50% because I'm able to rotate the images around the correct plane, around the correct perspective. Very, very simple. Or this case, yes, there's a plaque present. Is it significant? Well, when you rotate the images around this way, it looks like it's occluding the vessel. But when you start rotating the images around and you play around a bit with the rendering, you recognize that there is plaque and it does cause some narrowing, but the narrowing is less than 50%. Now, as I mentioned, um, there is some automated software and automated software typically uses this vessel tracking Articles have shown the software is okay, but it's not as accurate as you kind of guesstimating. So you want to be very careful. Now, it's not just in native vessels. Here's a patient with a coronary artery graft, the graft to the circ. And here I'm able to look at the origin in 3D of the graft and where the grafts communicate. But if I really want to follow the patency of the graft and look for stenosis, here I'm able to do that with curved planar reconstruction where I can see the origin and distal anastomoses. I can see the course of the stent. I can see the course of the graft. So I know that this vessel is perfect. And when you go beyond this to stents, it's ideal because stent has the same problem as a vessel, only more so. You gotta get right down the middle of the stent. If not, you can over or undercoil disease. And that's whether the stent's in the aorta in the coronary arteries, as in this example, or it's in the SMA or renal arteries or carotids, it's the same principle because here now, I'm going right down the center of that stent and I can see it's clearly patent. We use different filters for looking at stents, you use a more of a high-res filter to even get better definition of the struts of the stent and the lack of involvement by the patient's uh, a, a vascular map. So you can see here very nicely that this stent in the LED is perfectly patent. You can see mistakes that can be made. You look at the axial images here. This patient had prior surgery. You swear there's a dissection in the descending thoracic aorta. But look at the 3D when you do vessel tracking. What you're really seeing is that's just where the, the patient's surgery was. And so there's a, it's a surgical created defect there. And when you look through it carefully, you recognize the patient has no dissection and no narrowing is just the bend in the graft. And so it's a leave alone lesion rather than perhaps reoperating or retreating the patient. Now, when we look at trauma, we find this to be very valuable as well. Here's a patient with clavicle injuries as well as scapula injuries. And what you're able to do is take the axial images and go and create maps because you can see the axials, and I know you can see active bleed at times well, but what about vessel patency? What about spasm? Much easier in 3D, showing you the subclavian to the axillary to brachial, all widely patent, showing you the left carotid. You can see the fracture brought into play here. You can then take the bones away, and I left the first ribbon, but beautiful visualization of the vascular structures. So really, ideally segmenting things out and giving it to you. Here it is with MIP. 
I left the first ribbon. Sometimes with bone removal, the first rib is hard to get out and you create artifact. So I like to leave the first rib in. If you're doing MIP, you have to be careful because obviously the MIP will be obscuring the, uh, the vessel as the bone is denser. But you can see curved planar reconstruction solves the day. I'm tracking front to end of vessel. This vessel is perfectly normal. There is no injury. So you can see a very, very nice example. Another case, aortic dissection, complicated surgery, graft from the thoracic artery to the SFA. There's the graft in the posterior retroperitoneum on the left. Well, what's happening? Well, look how easy it is to understand everything in 3D. Because now I'm seeing the anastomosis proximal and distal. I see the occluded left common iliac. And again, the multiplanar, where does that pay off in this case? Well, here I'm using the multiplanar to do curved planar reconstruction and track the vessel in its entirety. I'm seeing the proximal and distal anastomosis, and I know the vessel is patent. So again, you can see the importance of curved planar reconstruction, but also using it in the right context, supplemented by the 3D imaging. This case, you can look at the popliteal on the left. It's occluded. There's no flow, and here's flow beneath it. And here's the 3D map showing you the occluded SFA through popliteal. You can see the contralateral side has aneurysmal dilatation of the popliteal artery. And here it is when I take the bone away. Okay, very nice in some of the deeper collaterals. Very nice visualization away from bone just to vascular mapping. Now that really covers the multiplanar reconstructions. As I mentioned to you, we tend not to separate multiplanar and 3D so much anymore. It's a spectrum of what we do. And I commented a little bit about some of the positives of multiplanar and some of its limitations and how the 3D supplements those limitations. So why don't we do this? Let's take a moment's break and then let's come back and start talking about 3D imaging and rendering with MIP and volume rendering. Thanks a lot for paying attention. See you back in a bit.